are witnessing a remarkable counteroffensive of the Ukrainian army in the eastern part of the country. Ukrainians liberated more territories in four days than Russians took in four previous months. Let's try to understand the Ukrainian successes. You're listening to the Explaining Ukraine podcast. This is our weekly digest covering events in and around Ukraine between 4th and 11th September 2022. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I am a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor at Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the biggest and largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We spend majority of your support to help Ukrainian defenders and people affected by this war. So, Tani, let's discuss these events. And frankly speaking, they're so quick and so fast that we uh, sometimes just cannot really follow them. So what's happening? Yeah, that's a real surprise, not only for international observers, for military experts, but also for Ukrainians, for Ukrainian citizens. We were not prepared for such a counteroffensive. And what we can say now that maybe it's extremely good thing that all of peop- all people were talking about counteroffensive in the South. And we too, we were discussing this uh, future counteroffensive in the South during the August. But then uh, it started in extremely quickly by the Ukrainian attack uh, in Kharkiv region, uh, Balaklia was liberated in Sosdy, then um, then Kupiansk, and then uh, we are almost sure that Izum is already Ukrainian. We've seen some photos and videos. And the, the, the speed of this counteroffensive is so high that media, they cannot follow uh, follow this this. Um, procedure this uh, advance of, of the Ukrainian troops and nobody knows where exactly Ukrainian troops are at that very moment. Um, we receive information with a kind of a time lag a, li- a little bit later when it happened because we understand that uh, when Ukrainian troops approach a city, a town, they take it and then there is a procedures of filtration, of control, all that, all that stuff. So no military expert in Ukraine is able to say what is happening on the ground, and um, maybe they are already approaching uh, approaching the border. What Zaluzhny communicated uh, today in the morning, he said that Ukrainian troops are around 50 kilometers from the Ukrainian border in Kharkiv region. It's extremely close. And uh, as you rightly said in the beginning, so the, the speed is uh, extraordinary because in just in four days, Uh, Ukrainian troops liberated the territory which is bigger than the ter- ter- territory taken by uh, Russian troops during four months. And it's also important in terms of destruction. So when you, uh, Russian army, we do remember, when they were advancing, they were destructing um, literally everything on their way. We remember Popasna, we remember Rubizhne and Lysychansk, uh, maybe Severodonetsk, Lysychansk. Uh, all these cities they were destroyed, uh, completely destroyed on the way of Russian army. But with this counteroffensive, we see that uh, Ukrainians are proceeding in a different way, and they are able to liberate cities and villages without destroying them. 
You mentioned the word filtration. I think it was the wrong word because filtration is something that Russians are doing in cities like Mariupol and in some other parts doing the filtration camps. Uh, I think what you mean is that in some territories, Russian troops are still uh, on the ground, for example, in Izum and uh, and uh, there can be fights, there can be surroundings, encirclements. So, of course, when you enter a village or a town, the Russian troops can be there. It's not a, not a filtration of the civilians. Yes, yes. This is a word determining what is going on when you take a village. So you, you are to check uh, the people who are inside. But we understand that... we. This is this is real something extraordinary because we get more information from Russian publics, from Russian accounts now than we are getting from Ukrainian side because there was a kind of uh, extremely secret preparations and Russians and let's maybe discuss why why Ukrainian troops have have such, such a huge success now because they 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 managed to to cheat everybody, even Ukrainians. Nobody knew that we were discussing maybe they will attack, attack in the south, maybe maybe in Lugansk, but nobody knew. So we, 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 we knew that Kharkiv was shelled. We visited Kharkiv two times already. Uh, we, were pre- we are preparing our next trip to Kharkiv in a week, but we knew nothing about this operation and nobody would say that Ukrainian troops will start from Kharkiv. But it is it, it is intelligent way because they, they wanted to take Izum. Izum is an important place, important town, important hub, transportation hub, which is uh, uh, very useful for these um, Russian troops in Lugansk and also in in Donetsk region. So maybe that's why they started from Kharkiv region. But uh, we do remember hours of discussions of all kinds of military experts on the Ukrainian television, on the Ukrainian YouTube, uh, in international also discussions about this counteroffensive, which started with HIMARS, with this um, HIMARS hitting logistics of Russian army in the south. So we were, and uh, we do remember this, um, this HIMARS in Crimea. So all all was here to make us believe that Ukrainians will start in the south, but finally they started in the north. So, and this is uh, an important thing to to understand that uh, uh, it, it, during the war, some things should be secret. Yeah, and indeed, we can just consider it as a, also not from the point of view of military operation, but also from the point of view information war. And uh, as Russians were trying to use the situation on the ground, for example, with Ukrainian grain, and then put their narrative throughout the world that Ukrainian Ukrainians do not want to export their grain, while Russians were blocking the Ukrainian ports, of course. So this was also a fact for the information war. Now this is a kind of uh, a different reality when Ukrainians really succeeded, it seems to me, uh, because we, we are asking a question how it was possible that Ukrainians were so fast. And one of the explanations that they just made Russians believe that the, the attack will be on the south. Yeah, and, and specifically, they uh, uh, Russians believed that uh, Ukrainians would start with the south, and that's why they reinforced considerably their groups, their groups, uh, their troops in the south, and that's why their, the front in the Kharkiv region became weaker. Exactly. So they most probably retransported their troops from the northeast to the south and just made a kind of a void uh, for for the Ukrainian troops. So it seems uh, that it it is a very skillful operation, not only a military one, but information one. 
And, uh, well, we go to the classics. We go to Machiavelli, who said that in politics it's important and in war it's important to be not only a lion but also a fox. And this metaphor of the fox, we can we can discuss it a little bit later. There is another another interesting thing with this metaphor of the fox. So Ukrainians were cunning enough, you know, to to be foxes against this Russian strength and uh, whatever bear, uh, bear or, or whatever. And the second thing is, of course, uh, of course, Sunzi and uh, the the classics of of military tactics. Because one of the principles of, of, of this ancient Chinese wisdom is that war is about deception. So if you are, as, as he says, if you are weak, you should make your enemy believe that you are strong. If you are strong, you should make the enemy believe that you are weak. If you are in the left, you should make the enemy believe that you are to the right. Uh, and so so on and so forth. So th- this is what Ukrainians actually has have done. Yes, and I am sure that one day we will know all the truth about this operation. It will come in, in next month, we hope. But let's maybe tell the story of emo- emotional story because we've seen several videos. Uh, Let, from, let's from let's the... come back to the to the facts. Uh, you mentioned the territories. So it's about 3,000 square kilometers? Yeah, liberated. at least what Zaluzhny, Zaluzhny, chief commander of the Ukrainian forces, told us 3,000 3, square kilometers. So it, it, it's not only Kharkiv region, but if uh, we are not mistaken, at least the situation is uh, developing quickly, it's also about Lugansk, Lugansk region. And uh, it seems that Ukrainians at least entered the outskirts of Lysychansk. And uh, we have seen the photos... Uh, Ukrainians entering the Severodonetsk Ryan. Well, we remember how how difficult it was when Ukrainians were leaving these two cities in the Luhansk Oblast, and Russians were claiming that, okay, they control 100% of the Luhansk Oblast, and uh, it seems to be that they're advancing and they will be advancing to Donetsk Oblast. Now it seems that Ukrainians are counterattacking Luhansk Oblast as well. And let's remind that for the 11th of September, they were planning for a referendum in Lugansk region, in Donetsk region, and in Kherson region. So at least the Russians were preparing uh, a couple of months ago for this referendum taking place at the same day as in Russia. So in the 11th of September, there is an official day of vote in the Russian Federation. That's why they were t- trying to put it together with Kherson. Lugansk and Donetsk, but now it's clear enough that there will be no referendums, neither in uh, neither in Lugansk, no Donetsk or Kherson, because the military situation is quite far away from the possibility to to organize such things. So it, it's, it's a political political defeat because it's not only a military defeat because it, it's also a political defeat because it ruins the plans of of Russia to stop to create a ceasefire and to negotiate, because you cannot negotiate with the army which is advancing so quickly. You mentioned this emotional side of it. What do you mean? I mean that uh, we've seen several videos already, uh, I guess filmed by soldiers or maybe, yeah, by soldiers, by soldiers who enter villages and towns uh, in Kharkiv region. And we've seen, we've seen locals, local people who were literally crying uh, of, I don't know, of happiness, of the emotion. And they were uh, so happy to see Ukrainian soldiers. It was a 
really sincere emotion and we can only imagine what these people lived, went through during six months of occupation. I mean, uh, we can imagine that we've traveled a lot in, in around Kiev, in Kiev Oblast. We've seen this d- destruction and these trauma, traumatisms from, from Russian army just in a couple of weeks. We can imagine in which, how people feel when they spent uh, six months in under occupation. So we've seen men and women literally crying of happiness when they see when they saw Ukrainian soldiers approaching they were providing gifts uh, to them and and really happy about this about this arrival yeah and this is not something staged when you know there is a column of tanks going through the city and then people are brought with flowers and, and stage welcoming this was a real real sincere videos of uh, very often people of older age, uh, so people who spend the majority of their lives probably in Soviet Union, and uh, the sincere emotion. Then the sincere emotions, of course, when uh, the Russian flags are put down in these towns or villages and the Ukrainian flag is is going up. Um, yeah, r- lots, of, lots of really emotional things. Uh, one more thing you mentioned this Russian Russian publics and uh, it's interesting that Russians had a, a city day of Moscow yesterday and uh, and uh, there was a huge fire fireworks and there was lots of buzz in in Russian telegram for example why why they are doing these fireworks are, are they celebrating the, the Ukrainian victory or do they spend a lot of money to for these fireworks while it seems that in Russian Russian army the situation is not uh, very good in terms of supplies in terms of uh, bullet bulletproof vests and uh, many other things so we will see maybe maybe it will reach to something just to, to some discontent in in the russian society yes there. but and also we've seen this official communique coming from the russian side stating that it, it's it's an organized maneuver of the russian army just to regroup uh, to regroup differently in a different manner in the Netsk region it's it's ridiculous ridiculous in such a situation because we have proofs even even uh, ordinary citizens like we are uh, we are able to see the um, videos of russian tanks fleeing fleeing the the uh, this occupied zone and doing everything to flee as as uh, quickly as they can not only that they left a lot of machinery and equipment and ammunition inside so we see videos from our, our soldiers with lots of russian tanks that they left on the ground and it was lots of stocks of russian ammunition so and they're talking about russian lend lease so ukrainian soldiers are making jo- jokes say stating that you know, americans promised a lend lease for ukraine but look there is a russian lend lease arriving so because they they um, they left really a huge number of uh, of tanks of all these uh, military vehicles and yeah. So hu- humor is also presented, presenting and present in this in this situation. Ukrainians continue to be very humorous, and I promise to you to mention uh, one another usage of the metaphor of the fox, and this comes to uh, the head of the presidential office, Mr. Andriy Yermak. To him, uh, we are actually very critical, and many many other people are very critical of him. Uh, but uh, well, but but at least we will. At least the, the, there are rumors, and there were rumors, you know, that they were uh, he was too soft on Russia, and some even believed that he was playing uh, the Russian game before the this invasion. But uh, 
but I think he's, I hope, we hope that he's part of the team. And uh, he communicated with two tweets uh, recently. One is showing the, the grapes and another is showing the, 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 the he, he was communicating with, uh, with the, his pictures, with pictures, with this Twitter uh, icons, icons, smiling icons, whatever, I don't know, emojis, emojis, yeah, how it's called in English, emojis. And one tweet with one emoji was grapes, and uh, another tweet was with fox. So what, what he means, grapes means izum, because izum is a Ukrainian word for this, for this, um, for this dry, dry fruit that you make out of grapes. And uh, and uh, fox means uh, lisitsa, and lisitsa is a metaphor for Lysychansk, which is probably a hint that Ukrainians are approaching or approached or taking Lysychansk in Luhansk Oblast. Mm-hmm. So this is this this is how it it works sometimes, you know. <laughs> We're living in this very very specific uh, specific information reality. So yeah. So uh, um, what else uh, in terms of facts we can say that. Ukrainians went inside the, the Russian-controlled territories sometimes for 50 kilometers. 70 kilometers. 70 kilometers. So this is huge. And you were joking that it took us, our family, uh, a longer time to go from Kyiv to our dacha in Kyiv suburb than to for, for these Ukrainian defenders to go through uh, the Russian positions in yeah, occupied. Sometimes we ask a question ourselves, how, how, how can they proceed so quickly? But there is a time lag between the facts and information. Uh, even so Twitter is efficient now, uh, Facebook is much less efficient, and media are publishing uh, information when mostly when it's official, so it, it takes time. But uh, fortunately, uh, we are able to see uh, videos from soldiers or some hints from people who know the situation you know they uh, we know that there is a kind of official ban of uh, Ukrainian armed forces uh, to publish anything linked to this operation so that's why journalists are allowed to talk about this operation when it is official so it takes time for people to realize what's going on that's why for example in the minutes we are talking we don't know exactly what Ukrainian troops are doing, and maybe in an hour, two hours, we'll get information which will will uh, will be uh, we'll talk about another liberated city or about some other facts. So it is extremely quick, and uh, I would say we are not military experts, but uh, uh, to my understanding, uh, in order to organize such a quick uh, advance, uh, Ukrainian troops should prepare for during a long time. I mean, not in terms of only accumulating forces, tanks, artillery, but also in terms of intelligence, in terms of how to how to do that, how to do that in a way that Russians will not have the time to react. And what we see now is that during five days, it's already the fifth day of this counteroffensive, Russians are not reacting. They are not trying to counterattack in a way or to regroup uh, efficiently. So they are unable to organize a resistance to this advance. And this is uh, surprising because how they were present on the ground for, for six months already, how come that they are unable to, 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 to respond? Yes, yes, exactly. And uh, this also raises a question, what is truth during the war? There is a phrase, you know, the truth dies first during the war. And uh, we understand that a lot of journalists, a lot of international journalists but also Ukrainian journalists want to want more information they are unhappy that 
uh, everything is such in a silence, but we should understand that information is is part of the war right now. And maybe it was a very good idea to keep everything in silence. And uh, frankly speaking, uh, we should be ready for the fact that we probably know ten percent or twenty percent of what is going on, and we should be we should accept this reality. Uh, some other things which are related to this week, very briefly. First, uh, a very difficult situation on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Uh, this night it was switched off completely uh, from, uh, from supplies and uh, from, the, from the grid. And um, Ukrainian Energo Atom, Ukrainian uh, nuclear energy enterprise, said that the electricity is supplied with diesel generators and we understand that uh, you, the nuclear power plant should uh, uh, cool, should be, should have a cooling system for its nuclear fuel, and this cooling system uh, works on electricity. So if it's cut from the grid uh, and it cannot really work uh, to ensure this cooling system, uh, the only hope is for these diesel genera- generators. But there are questions, for example. How much uh, fuel, how much diesel fuel uh, these diesel generators still have? Exactly, and we depend on Russians because Russians control the stations, so it depends on their capacity to provide these diesel generators. And this is extremely boring situation. But am I mistaken? I understood this news that the Ukrainians cut off finally finally the station from from electricity grid so it was a choice made by ukrainians to 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 opt for this uh how they called it cold uh, cold system so they decided not to not to use electricity to for the cooling system so we we know few of that but uh the fact is that situation is extremely uh difficult on the ground and uh, we don't know how it will they just uh, as far as i understand they just moved uh, the station into the this uh, cold mood or something like that some other 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 status and uh, in order to uh, um, you know to bring down the possibility of a, of a major disaster there so that the the station doesn't work on its on its full capacity uh, and for these uh, emergency generators to supply the electricity which is needed for for these purposes but uh, in general what's happening russians have uh, and we 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 told you this many times russians have occupied the uh, biggest nuclear plant in europe and they're just just making it as a kind of their hostage and uh, and uh, this is really an act which Ukrainians are calling the nuclear terrorism. When you have the big nuclear enterprises, imagine this, a big nuclear bomb, and you're just saying, okay, we're controlling it, so we can make it explode at any time. And remember that Russians were sending uh, through different speakers, like from Medvedev or some others, sending threats to Europe that radiations doesn't uh, doesn't have borders or... Or that many, many, some disasters can happen on your nuclear plants, etc. Okay, we are following this situation, of course. And uh, the second issue is that uh, I was uh, yesterday near the British Embassy, and uh, there were lots of flowers uh, from the Ukrainian citizens to 
mourn the death of Queen Elizabeth. So this is also a, a sign. And, and there are also there were also pictures and I mean pictures, drawings, and some of them are probably drawn by, by kids showing this um, Queen Elizabeth. So this is also an act of of sympathy and empathy to the British people. Uh, I think this is it briefly. So we discussed the, the key events and trends uh, from the 4th of September to the 11th of September. Uh, today is also a sad date. We remember this is anniversary of the 9-11, uh, the attack on Twin Towers. And we also, Ukrainians also, uh, expressing their empathy to the American people because of that. Um, this was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Vladimir Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of Ukraine World. Uh, my co-host is Tityana Harkova, who's in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Follow us on social networks, on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. And uh, you can support us on patreon.com slash Ukraine World. We spend your donations to help people affected by this war and to help Ukrainian defenders. We are doing not only information work, but also lots of volunteer trips across Ukraine. And let me also remind you that Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine. Thank you.